0: River, healing waters, take me to the place I am found, I am found, Sister River.
1: my earliest experience of music truly like when when i think back to like my happiest childhood things it was like you know I, I think i remember just being kind of a 4 to 5 year old listening to fleetwood mac on the shores of lake michigan in chicago in the summer um you know playing on like one of those just like transistor radios that you brought to the beach
0: down to the river now to see my sister she will baptize me on her boundless shores
1: and um listening to like a lot of donna summer like whatever that record was must have been whatever the record was that had on the radio on it was like just playing kind of non-stop Um, on my mom's record player my mom my mom you know she was a bit of a party party child you know when I was young before she got God so um you know she had a big record collection or it looked big to me I don't know if
0: it was actually big sister river healing waters take me to the place I am found
2: So I'm here with Kamara Thomas, who's a singer and songwriter, as well as a kind of multidisciplinary storyteller. Kamara's done a lot of different things with her work and life as an artist, and I'm really excited to talk to her about storytelling and about stories. But first, I wanted to talk to her about her, her earliest experiences with music.
0: I am fan. I am fan.
2: So did you know, like, listening to music then, that this is something you wanted to do?
1: Oh, no, no, no. I had no idea. No. I mean, it was, it's like, I made up songs, and, but I think that's the thing about being a child, is like, we don't really see any of these distinctions between Music and you know, like there's no distinctions and genres and creativity, you're just like you know, unfolding and creating things. I remember actually thinking, you know, that you know, how everybody gets I don't know if you got, you know, the, the Dr. Seuss, my book about me. Yeah. Um, you know, I still have mine, and, and I look at it, and it's like the top things I wanted to be <laughs> were I wanted to be an artist, I wanted to be a nun. and I, I I went to Catholic school for preschool and, um, and, uh, kindergarten. I loved my nun teachers. So I wanted to be a pre, I wanted to be an artist, a nun, a cook that, yeah, that's, that's all I can remember. But it was like, artist was always in there, but I, I remember looking at my, my mom would do these paintings with oil paints and I was always kind of pissed off that I was not allowed to use oil paints that I had to use. Like whatever the kid paints it was like a real insult to me that that i couldn't use like real materials like what like the what the adults were able to use i just remember feeling really like you know enraged and like helpless about that like when will i get to use the oil paints that mean that i'm really creating a piece of a painting
2: So where else, where else were you hearing music?
1: Well, you know, like, like really those were, that was like its own time. Like the golden, the golden age of like listening to music was like, you know, dancing my ass off to Donna Summer and, and how deep is your love and Fleetwood Mac. And then, you know, I always say that like music kind of crept up on me. I always took it for granted. Like, so it's not like I had any of these like mind blowing kid experiences with music. Like I yeah, it was like, I had the childhood experience. And then once my mom started, you know, when she became Seventh-day Adventist, music was around all the time, but it was very specific. You know, it was like, we are singing hymns, we are singing. And I always, I, I always loved singing, you know, but even singing, I didn't think of as necessarily be, I didn't think of it as like, I'm making music. You know, it was like, I was this thing that was separate, you know, and it wasn't really until college when I, um, kind of almost flunked out of freshman year because I was doing so many musical things. You know, it was like, it was like my entire like time for studying in the evening was taken up with percussion ensemble and band and orchestra and chorus and all, you know, all the musical things. So it it was kind of then that I was like, oh, I guess, you know, I'm more invested in music than I thought.
2: So going back to what you said about church and about hymns, do you feel like church was do you feel like it played a big role in the kinds of things you make now
1: sure I mean you know i'm I'm a big I love hymns and I love um, you know I even love the choral sounds I, you know when i was when I was in college the the first year you kind of did this women's chorus or, or whatever and but the all of the music was a lot more kind of experimental choral music and I loved all of that. Um, yeah, I mean that there's still it's like I, I can't help but have backup I'm always thinking about what the backup singers are doing, you know, what, what I can do in, in in the backups department. I love backup singing for other people too, because I I just love the pure sound of voices. You know, there's something so you know, transportive transportative about um, you know, of just singing with other people, it's, you know, that, that, if anything, that's what kind of plays the biggest role is I, I still feel like I have to have some project going where I get to sing with other people, where there's a reason to sing with other people. And I, you know, I grew up, it's like, I grew up listening to country music a ton too, because once my mom became Seventh Day of Venice, we only, somehow the country music station was still like, okay to listen to, but everything else was kind of satanic. Like rock music was out. Pop music was too sexy. Um, you know, rock music was satanic. So it was like, I listened to classical and the, I listened to the classical station and the country station. Um, and I think country just because that was what was, you know, that's what my mom's that's what my grandmother and grandfather had on their radio, you know? So it was like that, It just felt, I guess, like home to her maybe. And so it just kind of made, you know, it didn't get, it didn't go through the, through the Satan uh, screen. It got through the Satan screen (laughs) (laughs) just for,
2: for, just for feeling like home, I guess. That's really interesting, that country. I mean, I, it makes sense, but I, in like, I'm trying to think about why that makes sense. Like, it's,
1: it's, it's some, it's, it's weirdly American, you know, it's like, sometimes we'll talk about God. You know, you're like, I cheated on my husband, but I still went to church after. So it was like, as long as you kind of end up back in church, there's there's always, it's always inferred in country music that eventually you're going back to church, even if yeah, you're exactly. on a or, bit of a bender right now.
2: Yeah. Or at least you know, at least you know it's bad, you know, like you're you're guilty along the yeah. way. yeah.
0: <laughs> Why don't they tear this diner down? These vinyl wood chip walls keep crackling These fading stars were always fading
2: this, So I thought it'd be fun to talk about this one song, and, which is this, this, uh, this song that, um, that is the response, I guess, to Alec Midwestern Soth's uh, photograph. So I guess, could you tell me a bit about just how that song came into existence? Like, what, what's the backdrop to that song?
1: So, um, Castle House, which is this kind of, I guess I would call it like a gallery slash artist incubator space, um, in Chapel Hill, that is, it's kind of, it's both the home of and the gallery of, uh, Ellen Castle and Frank Townhouse. and, uh, great supporters of the arts in, in this area, and, um, their their uh, curator Just Jess, Justina Leonard put together this uh, this exhibit called Euphrasis there a few years back that was yeah you know Frank and Ellen have this kind of extensive photograph archive or collection you know and so they you know the 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 exhibit was really just Trying to get a lot of different artists from different art you know from different um practices to respond to photography you know through their practice and so i I was kind of tasked with the songwriting of that, yeah so I just kind of went over to castle house and it was it was up on the wall i, I you know I looked at it up on the wall I looked at it in in um in, uh, Alexos, one of his photo books and, uh, just kind of look through Alexos work as well. Um, and so even, you know, even just looking at his work, I was like, Oh, I, yeah, I love this stuff, you know, very Midwestern perspective and, um, you know, kind of off the beaten path Midwestern, but but i don't know i could still understand it you know i could, it still evoked this this that mid, this feeling that we get in the midwest that i i think a lot of midwesterners can kind of relate to of, of like it's like you know wide it's like a wide open sp- it's like a blank canvas a slightly depressing blank canvas but also uh, like home <laughs> you know um it's like you know, so, so I don't know. I just, it it evoked all of these feelings for me. And I hadn't been in the Midwest, you know, I've, I've, I've been, I have not been living in the Midwest or in Chicago, you know, for, I don't know, upwards of 20 years at this point, I guess, you know, um, since I left for college,
0: really. These fading stars were always fading. This photo blacking into brown. Damn this midwestern town Death wish to anyone who shames her Fuck off to anyone can't name her Old beauty dying in her crown Someday um,
1: So, yeah, so it just want, like... Something kind of just start, you know. I started to just gather phrases. Also, this photo of his—it's a photo of a photo, you know. that's this Ansel Adams photo on this like dilapidated, like maybe a diner wall. You can't really tell. Like it's, you know. Um, I'm trying to remember what the what the name of the photo is. I can look it up. Um, I think it was
2: called Cape. Gerardo. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, anyway, so I was like, let me take a photo of this photo of this photo and let me, you know, let me get like one more step meta away from this. And, you know, what will usually happen for me is I'll see a story right away. Like some kind of character will pop into my head, you know, or at least a sketch of a character. I'll start to see them. It's like, who is this character for whom all of these things are true, right? And then, And then that leads to more... Development of that character,
0: you see. I am the Empress of the Mountain. I am the Empress of the Mountain. I am the Empress of the Mountain. I, the the Mountain.
1: I, I try to create this whole world. Of Above the song, you know, or that has to bottleneck into what the song says so that there's always more inferred, you know, that there, so that there's so much unsaid in the song about whoever the song's talking about, you know, so that you're really only getting. And it's a, I don't know, I think this came from my theater days. I remember like studying uh, Peter Brooks, the Mahabharata in uh, in college. And still, I mean, it's still one of those like touch points for, or I don't know what you call it. Touch point or the place I go back to a lot where, um, where it was the the way that Peter Brook put together this, this show, which was like this huge international, like mega event, you know, but, but the con the, the concept I took away from it was like for his scenery or for his, um, you know, for the set, you know, everything was, was as simplistic as you could make it. Like instead of a wheelbarrow, instead of like rolling a wheelbarrow onto stage, you had like, he, he had like a big, like just a, 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 a hoop, you know, that someone rolled like onto stage. It was like just the outline and, and what happens in a case like that is like the audience has to fill in all the blanks. Like you leave a bunch of blanks for the audience and then they fill it in with their imagination and with their, their identities in a certain way, you know? So I've kind of always approached art that way as well, that, that, um, you know, I make up this huge thing, you know, like this huge kind of container above the work. And then, I let, I, I, I asked myself, well, you know, not only like, what do I have to leave out? Like what actually has to be there in order for you to get some semblance of who this person is? Like, what's the outline, you know, what is the, what are the most important pieces that really kind of show you the container? You know, they don't show you everything that's in the container, but they show you the container.
2: So you're also working on an album called Tolarosa, which I know you haven't finished yet, and so we can't use the the music on this, but um, maybe if you could talk a bit about uh, what you're doing with that project because I think it's a really good example of the uh, kind of some of the elements of storytelling that you're talking about.
1: Well, the, so Tularosa, I mean it's the other thing is like I love rabbit holes, right? So <laughs> half Tularosa is is many, many years old. I mean, it's more than a decade old at this point. You know, some of so, some of the songs are newer than a decade, but all of them are, you know, I started writing Tularosa Rosa in 2005, maybe. Um, so, um, wait, wait, that's 15 years. Oh yeah, that's more than a decade. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, but, but what the Tularosa was a case where I, you know, I was babysitting these kids and their, their mom is from the Tularosa region of New Mexico. And so they, they had gone on a trip to, you know, visit family or whatever. And she came back with this, with one of these travel books that you, that you get on the side of a road, you know, and um, it's just this travel book. That's like, Tularosa Last Frontier of the West, right? And it's just a local, you know, local guy who decided he was going to kind of tell the local lore of this region. But it's actually really well written and really comp- you know, compelling and all these stories were so cool. You know, it was like basically the the story of the Tularosa region is that you know, it's this really barren bit of land in New Mexico, like right up against the white sands desert, but you know, um, really inhospitable to humans. And yet everybody from like the Comanches and the Apaches to the Mexican farmers who kind of came up from the South to Texas ranchers that came in, you know, and then Eastern capitalists came through and everyone's been fighting over it, you know, for centuries. And now it's a U.S. missile range for the most part, you know, like the White Sands missile range, and so you know immediately I was like, "What's going on with this land?" You know, I'm also like a land freak, you know, like I'm like when I'm on when I'm on any kind of land, I'm like, "What is you know?"
2: It I can feel it really. I, I deeply, a thousand percent. You know, I a thousand percent know what you mean on that. Yeah.
1: It, yeah. And hopefully I mean I'm I'm hoping, I think the whole population's starting to feel that way, I hope, you know, is yeah. like well the, there's, this earth. And
2: also in America there's so many stories that have been hidden and, and untold and you walk around and you're going, Wait, this doesn't make sense. Like not nothing quite makes sense. You're like in a piece of land and you're like, Okay, you own it. I got that much. But then who was here before and, and yeah. when and how? And like it's yeah, it's like,
1: you don't know, like, there's, there's so many layers on any one piece of land that you just can't, you know, and so, you know, in Tularosa, you can kind of, you can see the sediments a little bit in, in these stories, I could see the sediments. And, um, and then I was just really interested in, in the fact that it ended up as a missile range. And it's where all the, you know, the nuclear testing has happened. And it's this place where like, The earth is inhospitable, but yet it's this place where humans want it for some reason and they want to do really awful things to it. (laughs) You know, like they want to do the worst things that that humans can do on our planet on this piece of land, you know, and so in some way. So I'm like, there's power. There must be power on this land that is you know, that the stories are pointing to, you know, so I guess that that's what it was. It kind of wove me in that way. I was like, Ooh, what's going on? You know? So, you know, and then, you know, there are a few stories in that book where I was like, Oh yeah, I want to write about this and wrote a couple, you know, there were a couple, there were a couple songs in the album, I think, you know, that, that, um, that came directly from the book and, you, you know, Can you
2: tell, can you tell me about like a specific character or a specific story that really drew you in?
1: So the 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 main the main story that really drew me in that I that I wrote into this song called Nine Day Novena that's on the record, is you know the the big the big feud in Tular, in the Tularosa region at least according to this book was between these two families the the Fountains and the Falls and the basically Albert Fountain goes on a trip to the county seat and I think Truth or Consequences. um to testify against the patriarch of the Fall family, who is also named Albert. They're both Alberts. Um, And he disappears on the way, like never to be heard of, heard from again. They never found his body. He just disappears. Where the the Nine Day Novena song comes from is that the the young daughter, maybe teenager age, she tells her father, she's like, hey, take, you know, take my younger brother, take, take Henry, who's like five years old, take him with you because, you know, cause they kind of were hearing rumblings of like mischief could happen and stuff. So he's like, take Henry with you so that you don't get messed with on this trip, you know, cause they're going to not going to mess with you if you've got a kid, you know? Um, and then they both disappear. So nobody, you know, they disappear. They never make it to true their consequences. And, um, and, and, the, the women of the house start to pray, you know, these three women, the mother, the daughter, and their, um, care, you know, their maid or their caretaker, um, servant type, she, um, they all start to like do this prayer. They're like, Oh, let's do this. A nine day novena nine day prayer. You should know what that is. Catholic, Catholic boy. Um, (laughs) and, um, they're like, let's do this nine day prayer for them. And on the night of the ninth day, Mariana, who is, no, I don't know, Mariana, I, I can't remember her name, Maggie, She had, the teenager, she has this dream and she sees uh, her brother. Her brother comes to her in this dream and is like, we're dead. The men who killed us, ha-, you know, one of them has, you know, this picture of his daughter and he shows her th- this picture and he says, we're dead, you know, and And so she has this weird premonition. I'm like, what is this story? This is crazy. This is amazing. You know, I'm I'm also like, you know, astrologer, tarot reader, like, like, tell me about psychic women through history, you know, like, yes, you know. Um, So that was the story that kind of caught me, you know, and I, I just started, you know, it made me think about the, the role of women during, you know, and I've always been obsessed with the West and grew up watching Westerns too, so... Um you know it just kind of caught all, caught all my imagination like triggers you know
0: How phoenix she knows oh right out of gathering all the bones of the distant lives she's tread before I don't
2: to learn more about Kamara Thomas's work and listen to more of her music you can visit her website at www.kamaratomas.com
0: And she begins to glow, oh, from deep within a heart and a soul that knows no fear of letting go. And the forest feeds the flames once were her feathers. On the winds float seeds of change to break her tail.